Good morning. For my first special, I would like to sing. <laughs> Most common questions we hear this time of year. Have you got your tree up? Have you got your shopping done? Have you got family coming? Which progresses into how long are they staying? <laughs> have you baked those pies? Have you made those cookies? What have you forgotten? Are you stressed out yet? You know, we're programmed to think that Christmas is about trees and lights and decorations and shopping and gifts and wrapping paper and bows and all of those things are nice, they're wonderful, they're fun. Unfortunately, we're really programmed to think that Christmas is all about me because it's what do you want for Christmas? Where are you going for Christmas? Did you enjoy Christmas? And even when you focus on others, it's always my family, my friends, my gift list. How does that song go? On the first day of Christmas, my true love sent to me. Christmas is the only birthday that we celebrate by giving gifts to everyone but the birthday boy. So let me ask you, this Christmas, what are you giving to Jesus? Is he even on your gift list? So as time is accelerating and our days are filled with distractions and commitments and to-do lists and stress, and I know for some of you these days are filled with pain because you lost a loved one this year and this may be the first holiday that you celebrate without them. As Christmas Day approaches, and we are prone to think about everything and everyone, but Jesus on his birthday, I just want to pause this morning and refocus on what matters most. Refocus on what Christmas is all about. And to help us with that, I want to read part of the Christmas story out of Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be, with, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Those last three words tell us what Christmas is all about. It's God with us. 
The theologians call it the incarnation. That's when God became carnate. God became flesh. Now, I don't know about you, but that's an amazing concept to me, that God became flesh. And so I was thinking about what it would look like if God became flesh. If God showed up in swaddling clothes, what would we expect that to look like? And so I made a list. If, if God showed up in Bethlehem as a baby, what would I expect? And I came up with a list that I've got in your bulletin, and I'd like to just walk through it with you this morning briefly. First of all, I put down that we would expect a supernatural birth. Wouldn't we expect the supernatural to come supernaturally? Well, in the passage that I read, verse 23 says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. A virgin birth, that's supernatural. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God said to the serpent in the garden, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will crush you on the head. You shall bruise him on the heel. Now, you don't have to be a biology major to know that women don't have seed. Men do. And even when that word is used in a more general sense in the Bible of offspring, it's always used of men. But God says in the third chapter of the Bible that the woman's seed would crush Satan. How can that be? A supernatural birth. That's why earlier in the, this first chapter of Matthew, we read the genealogy of Jesus and it's one of those things that when I was a kid in the King James Version, it was always so-and-so begat, 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 begat. And it was one of those passages you kind of skip through rather quickly. The word begat means to birth or to father. And if you read the genealogy, it's all about men. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah. And you go through the passage that way, and whenever a woman is mentioned... She's only mentioned like she is in verse 5, where it says, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. And so it's men fathering men fathering men fathering men until you get to verse 16, and the Bible says, Jacob fathered Joseph, and Joseph fathered Jesus. Is that what your Bible says? No. Listen to it. Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born. And that pronoun whom is a feminine pronoun. You see, Joseph was not the father of Jesus. Jesus didn't have a human father. He was born not naturally, but supernaturally, a virgin birth. That's why Jesus said in John 6, 38, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of whom, him who sent me. 
Now, how many people can say they came down from heaven? How many people can say they were sent into this world? I was born in Nashville. That's why I have a southern accent. But I cannot say that I came down to Nashville. You see, there's only one person who can say he came down into this world. And that is Jesus Christ. That's why John's Gospel begins with these words. In the beginning was the Word. Who is the Word? The Word is Jesus. He is the one who communicates God to us. Because He is God. In the beginning was the Word, because later in the passage it says the Word became flesh. So we can introduce Jesus' name in place of the Word. Listen to what it says. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Jesus, and apart from Jesus, nothing came into being that has come into being. Jesus existed before he was born, and he was busy before he was born because he created everything. All things that came into being came into being through Jesus Christ. Now, have you ever thought, to th thought about how many things is all things? Jesus created all things. We can only see a small fraction of things. In fact, just to give you an idea, if you could travel at the speed of light, which is pretty fast, if, if you could travel at 186,000 miles a second, and you took off right now, you would pass the moon in a second and a half. One Mississippi, one, you're at the moon. If you continue on at 186,000 miles a second, you would reach Mercury in four and a half minutes. If you kept going 186,000 miles a second, you would reach Jupiter in 35 minutes. And if you continued on, you would arrive at Saturn in about an hour. So if you took off now, at 186,000 miles an hour, 186,000, what did I say? A second, I'm sorry. 186,000 miles a second, if you took off now, you could have lunch on Saturn. And then if you decided you were going to go on to the edge of our galaxy, which is the Milky Way, you would pass hundreds of billions of stars, and you would arrive at the edge of our galaxy in a hundred thousand years. And then when you got there, hundred thousand, one hundred thousand years from now, going 186,000 miles a second, you would arrive at the edge of our galaxy, and you would only be at the edge of one galaxy among billions of galaxies. And the baby in Bethlehem created it all. That's why John the Baptist said in John 1.15, 
He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Now John was Jesus' cousin. He was born six months before Jesus. And yet he says, Jesus existed before me. Why did he say that? Well, because Jesus didn't begin at Bethlehem. Jesus had no beginning. That's why Jesus said to the Jews in John chapter 8, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. And the Jews mocked him and said, You're not even 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now when Jesus was standing on this planet, Abraham had been on the planet about 2,000 years before him. So Jesus says, when Abraham was here, I am. Now that's interesting. He didn't just say, when Abraham, before Abraham was, I was. That would be pretty amazing. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He's the same one who said to Moses, tell, tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. Jesus is eternally present tense. There never was a time when he wasn't. And that's why in his prayer in John 17, he said, I have accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, when we face death, most people reflect back on their life. Jesus reflected on, back on BW, before world. Jesus reflected back on the time before time. We usually talk about AD and BC, and we talk about BC, we say, well, that's before Christ. Well, there was no before Christ, because he is the eternal one. So you see, the birth of Jesus was supernatural. It was the eternal God becoming an embryo in the womb of a virgin. And that truth is clearly taught in the Bible. And yet next to the resurrection, it's probably the most debated and controversial event in the life of Jesus. In current thoughts and trends, they put a poll done of over 7,000 Protestant pastors in the United States to find out if they believe in the virgin birth. 19% of American Lutheran pastors do not believe in the virgin birth. 34% of American Baptist pastors don't. 44% of Episcopalian pastors don't believe in the virgin birth. 49% of Presbyterian pastors, almost half, don't believe in the virgin birth. 60% of Methodist pastors don't believe in the virgin birth. And do you know what the primary argument against the virgin birth is? It's biologically impossible. Thank you, Einstein. Of course, it's biologically impossible 
for a virgin to give birth. It was also biologically impossible to create Adam out of dirt. And yet God did it. It was biologically impossible to create Eve out of the side of Adam. And yet God did it. You know, this is a question that Mary had of the angel when she heard about God's plan in Luke chapter 1. She said, how can this be since I am a virgin? You know what answer she got? She got this answer from the angel. Nothing will be impossible with God. You see, when you realize that the baby born in Bethlehem is God, you expect a supernatural birth. And then the second thing, if God showed up in swaddling clothes, I think we would expect a perfect life. When he grew up, we would expect him to have a perfect life. Now, we have a rather reduced level of expectation for people. Whether we admit it or not, we believe the verse that says all have sinned. And that's why you hear people say everybody does it. Nobody's perfect. I'm human. But if God became man, wouldn't we raise the bar? Listen to what the Bible says about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Jesus never sinned. He never lied. He never cheated. He never gossiped about anyone. He never said a word that he regretted. He never had a single thought that was evil. He never got envious or greedy or lustful or selfish. That's why even Judas Iscariot said this about him in Matthew 27, 4. I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. Pilate, the Roman governor who condemned him to death, said, I find no fault in this man. And the thief hanging beside him on the cross said, we indeed are suffering justly, but this man has done nothing wrong. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26 says it this way, Jesus is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Since the Bible says that your heavenly Father is perfect, and since the Bible says that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all, that's what we would expect if that baby was God with us. And that's what we got. We got a perfectly sinless life. Third thing I would expect if God showed up in swaddling clothes would be amazing words. Peter said this to Jesus in John chapter 6. You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
In John chapter 7, the Pharisees dispatched the temple police to arrest Jesus. After some time, they returned empty-handed. And the Pharisees said, well, why didn't you bring him? Here was their answer. Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. They went to arrest Jesus and they were so dumbfounded, they were so captivated by Jesus' words that they forgot their assignment. Mark chapter 1 and verse 22 says the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he was teaching as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus would say, you have heard it said, and he would quote the Old Testament, but he didn't stop there. He said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And no one spoke like that. Jesus asked questions no one could answer. And he answered questions no one even thought to ask. Jesus talked about God, angels, mankind, earth, heaven, hell. He talked about the seen. He talked about the unseen. He talked about the past. He talked about the present. He talked about the future. Listen to some of his words. I and the Father are one. He who has seen me has seen the Father. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are light. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies, and everyone who believes in me shall never die. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. If that baby in Bethlehem was God with us, then we would expect amazing words. And that's what we heard. Fourthly, we would expect miraculous works. What did Jesus do? At a wedding in Cana of Galilee, at his command, water turned into wine. He stood in a small boat in the midst of a stormy sea and said, Peace be still. And the wind and the sea were calm. He held in his hands a few loaves of bread and a few small fish, and he began to break them and break them and break them and break them until he fed 5,000 people with doggy bags. He walked across the top of the water of the Sea of Galilee. When he had to pay the temple tax and he had no money, he sent Peter to the seashore and Peter dropped his hook into the sea and pulled out a fish. And in the mouth of that fish was the temple coin. He sat on a young donkey that had never been broken. And quietly and peacefully, 
the maker of that donkey rode him into Jerusalem. At Bethsaida, he reached out and touched the eyes of a blind man, and they were restored. Ten lepers approached him on his way to Jerusalem, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And at his word, they were all healed. Peter, in the garden, in the excitement of the moment, pulls his sword out and swings it and cuts off Malchus's ear. Jesus reaches out, touches his ear, and it's restored. Jesus and his disciples are approaching the city of Nain, and they're met by a funeral procession coming out of the city. The only son of a widowed mother has died. Jesus felt compassion for her and said, do not weep. He stopped the funeral procession, said, young man, arise. And he sat up and began to speak. He stood outside the tomb of Lazarus with Martha telling him, Lord, by this time he stinks. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came back to life. And his greatest miracle was one we never expected to see. That is, that he himself rose from the dead. We never expected that because we never expected him to die. We never expected God to show up as a baby in Bethlehem only to go to the cross. But he did. In fact, that was his purpose in coming. He came to be our substitute. He came to die in your place. He was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And then after he died, three days later, he rose to conquer death, his greatest miracle of all. If that baby in Bethlehem was God with us, then we would expect him to do miraculous works. And he did. And then finally, and this list could go on, but finally, if God showed up in swaddling clothes, we would expect a radical influence. If God came into our world, we would expect the influence to be radical. Did Jesus influence anyone? How about doubting Thomas? He refused to believe unless he could put his hand in the wounds in Jesus' hands and feet inside. He refused to believe unless he could see. And then he saw the risen Christ. And he said, my Lord and my God. How about James? James was Jesus' half-brother he was skeptical throughout Jesus' life. In fact, at one occasion, he went with his mother to bring Jesus home because he thought he had lost his mind. He didn't believe until he saw Jesus risen from the dead. And he wrote one of the letters of the New Testament in which he calls himself a bond slave 
of Jesus Christ. How about Saul of Tarsus? He hated Jesus so much that he went around arresting and killing his followers. When he came to faith in Christ, he was such an unlikely Christian that he couldn't fellowship with anybody for the first three years. I would say Jesus had an influence on him. How about Charles Haddon Spurgeon? Spurgeon, as a young boy, went to church all the time and he had heard the message of the Bible. He was under conviction about his sin, but he'd never heard anybody tell him how to be saved. So as a young boy, he started going to other churches to try to hear how to get saved. And he went to a different church every Sunday trying to find out. And on a certain Sunday, he was aiming for a church quite a ways away, so he started out early to go. And as he started out, there was a great snowstorm. And about halfway there, he realized he was never going to make it to the church, so he saw a little church with the light on. Primitive Methodist Church. He went inside the church. Only about a dozen people were able to make it that day. In fact, the preacher couldn't make it. So the deacons drew straws and one lost. He had to preach. He got up to preach. And he preached on one verse. It was this. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. He explained two points. He said, number one, look. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to become anything. It's not about doing good works. It's about not by trying harder. All you have to do is look. Anybody can look. And the other word he focused on was me. Look unto me, Jesus. Don't look at the world. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at your works. Don't look at your failures. Look at me. Look unto me. All ends of the world. And you will be saved. And at the end of his message, Spurgeon says, he leaned over the pulpit and he extended his long finger out to Spurgeon who was sitting on the back row of that little church building and he said young man if you will look you will be saved and Spurgeon says I looked I looked with all my heart I looked to Jesus and I was saved that morning he went on to become one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century Did Jesus have a radical influence? How about John Newton? He was brought up in an ungodly home where his aunt had virtually driven him from home out to sea. He was a ship captain. One day he was standing in a violent storm with his hands on the wheel of the ship. It was such a violent storm that it was threatening everybody on board. Newton was afraid. Everyone was afraid. His first mate walked by him while, while Newton had his hands on the wheel of the ship and his first mate yelled out and said, Jesus Christ, what a storm. 
those words triggered his memory. Back to some words that his godly mother had told him right before she died. She said to him, John, when you need a Savior, call on Jesus Christ. And the cursing of that first mate triggered the memory of John Newton and he says that with his hands clenched to that wheel he cried to Jesus Christ and he was saved. He would later write Amazing Grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. If God showed up in swaddling clothes, we would expect a radical influence. How about me? When I was 20 years old, I was in Denver, Colorado, a self-proclaimed hippie with long hair. <laughs> with a heart full of rebellion, full of anger, a heart full of selfishness, a life full of hedonism. Jesus graciously showed up and drew me to himself and turned my life around 180 degrees. Jesus is still radically influencing people today. The question I want you to answer this morning is how about you? How about you? What's your story? Has Jesus radically changed your life? I mean, that's what we would expect, right? If God showed up in swaddling clothes, He came into this world for a purpose. We would expect that that would radically influence others. One of my favorite poems this time of year is an anonymous one it's called One Solitary Life. Here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30, and then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did any of those things that usually accompany greatness. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. 
One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed on a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen long centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as has that one solitary life. And why is that? Because he is God with us. And God with us becomes God in us when we believe. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is, has your Christmas moved from God with us to God in us? Have you believed? Have you let Jesus become God in you? Have you, you asked Jesus to come in you and radically change your life? You know, this time of year we often hear people ask the question, what do you give to the person who has everything? Well, really, only one person qualifies. There's only one person who has everything, and he is the one who created everything. And I want to tell you something this morning. There's only one thing that he wants. There's only one thing that he needs. There's only one thing that would bring joy to him this Christmas. And that one thing is all of you. It's all of you. He created it all. He owns it all. Except your heart this morning if it's going away from him. And the one thing that you could give to Jesus Christ on his birthday that would cause joy in the presence of the angels of God is all of you. How could we give him anything less when we consider that he gave all of himself to us. We're going to take communion together. If you're here as a guest and you know the Lord Jesus, you're welcome to participate. This is not our supper, it's his supper. He said, do this in remembrance of me. So I welcome you as your heart is prepared to come and take the bread and the cup. Before you do so, the Bible says to examine yourself. So 
I think this is a great time of reflection before we take communion to ask yourself today, have I given Jesus the gift he deserves? He gave all of himself to me to go to the cross in my place. Have I given all of myself to him? Let's do that this morning and then celebrate communion as we remember the sacrifice he made for each of us.